This is Hashtag History, episode 57. I'm Rachel. And I'm Leah. And we are unintentionally headed back to space this week. It isn't on purpose that we're headed right back to space, so shortly after the last couple of weeks' episodes about the Heaven's Gate cult... But here we are. And and less figuratively or spiritually going into space and more physically going Good into space. Good point, because technically <laughs> no one went to space Correct. in our last two episodes. Well, they would argue otherwise. Uh, otherwise. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, we are actually physically going to space this week. Fortunately, though, in this week's episode, no one dies. Mm. Although it came very very close yes this week we are talking about apollo 13 which was the third spacecraft of the apollo missions that was meant to land on the moon however when an oxygen tank exploded on their way to the moon the crew had to instead loop around the moon returning to earth a week after they took off it sounds simple enough but if you have seen the fantastic 1995 movie oh oh i have a story okay the way she was looking at me, I thought maybe she hadn't seen the 1995 well, Apollo movie. Well, I'll tell you the story after you finish this. Okay. Well, basically, the movie's fantastic. It stars... She's, she does not agree. No, I it, it stars Tom Hanks, Bill Paxton, Kevin Bacon, mm. Ed Harris, mm. and Gary Sinise. You know that it was anything but simple. And if you are familiar even minutely with this incident in history, you also know that this is where we get the iconic phrase, Houston, we have a problem. Mm-hmm, we sure do. And Houston, we, we do have a problem mm-hmm. because I don't have a cocktail in my hand. Oh, you're about to. Let's see about it, shall okay. we? Okay. I'm Rachel. And I'm Leah. And this is Hashtag History. The podcast for both history nerds and history haters alike. Where we dive into history's greatest stories of controversy, conspiracy, and corruption. So before we start, I do have to tell you the story. About your Apollo 13 movie experience? Yeah. So I had never seen it. And Uh then I started dating Nico, who is obsessed with space and... uh, Say no more. Yeah. NASA and all Uh that stuff. Um, Yeah. Why why do I have to explain to you? And then I started dating Nico. Like, got it. Yeah. That's all I Uh had to say. Got it. Um, And so I told him I had never seen this movie. And he was like... You almost broke up with you? I mean, maybe internally that was his thought process. (laughs) But the reaction outwardly was just like, oh, we should watch it together. Okay. So a few months more go by or whatever. And then we decide, let's... Oh, let's watch Apollo 13. Mm -hmm. Great. His roommate... And then eventually became my roommate at the time. Yes. Richard came in like in the maybe 20 minutes into the movie and they start talking and they're talking about and Nico stands up and they're standing in the hallway talking. And I was like, oh, you know, I kept being like, hi, I'm trying to watch the movie here. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> uh-huh. And they just kept talking and talking and talking. through. So I missed most of the movie. <gasps> oh, and bummer. then like a week later, Nico was like, oh, yeah, you were getting like really mad. Like, why? And I was like, because I've never seen that movie. And I feel like I still haven't seen that movie. And he was like. Wait, you've never seen that movie? Oh. M- and he was like, oh, so, so, like, so that was the first time you've ever seen the movie. And I was like, yes. And you just ruined it. You disrespected my first experience. Yeah. So I still haven't watched it. And to this day, anytime it gets brought up, or, and if I'm around Nico, I just give him a dirty look. He, and he understands, he knows. Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, then we need to watch it one of these times. Yeah. Maybe our next girls' night, we watch Apollo 13. Yeah, and I can't say I've never seen it because I did it see was, it. It was in front of me. <laughs> you visually yes. saw the movie. Yes, much like I visually saw the grudge on the bus <gasps> on my way to ski and snowboard camp when I was 13 years old. Not good choices. Yeah. Okay. But anyways, to the cocktail. I'm going about as literal as humanly possible this week, but that's kind of my trend. Yeah, that's I my like thing it. because we're drinking the Apollo 13 cocktail. I love that it's there's an Apollo 13 cocktail. Yeah, and why okay. is all spaced theme cocktails like milky looking? <laughs> the Milky Way. Oh. <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> so Apollo 13 contains two ounces of white rum, mm-hmm. a half ounce of orange liqueur, uh, the recipe recommended Grand Marnier, but I didn't use that, mm-hmm. a half ounce of Galliano herbal liqueur, which I have a whole story about me going on a little literal manhunt, manhunt or liqueur hunt <laughs> for a bottle of Galliano. I found the only bottle in Sacramento. <laughs> And then you top it off with a dash of grenadine syrup and then two ounces of cream, which that's the part I'm really nervous about. I put a little less than two ounces, Uh so this actually has less cream in it than you're supposed to put. Okay. I do and I don't like the look of it. It, again, looks like Pepto-Bismol. Yeah, it looks very very creamy. Mm -hmm. Um, But I also, I like kind of thicker drinks. I like smoothies. I like drinks that have some texture. Pretend it's a smoothie. And everything will be okay. Yeah. Also, I should note that the Galliano liqueur, it's like an herbal liqueur. So it might have some of those things, those flavors that we Smells. don't love mm-hmm. in like um, vermouth and <laughs> that type of stuff. I just burped because I was thinking about it and my stomach turned. <laughs> <laughs> Fun fact. Okay. Yeah. And actually, this is kind of long winded. So just prepare yourself. Actually, if you want to take a sip first oh. and then and then let me go into okay. the fun facts. Sounds good. Cheers. Cheers. It's strong, but it's fine. Yeah, I like it. Do you? I like it. I think it's the Galliano that I'm tasting the most. Which, which I there's only a half ounce in there. That's amazing. I don't love that little piece, but I actually I like it. Yeah. It's weird. It reminds me of like a fruit smoothie. Yeah, it really does. It's different. Or a fruit milkshake. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I like it. Okay, so continue drinking. I'm going to okay. give you a fun fact. Mm-hmm. There is a widely held belief that getting sloshed at higher altitudes, also in space, makes you feel woozier faster. Mm. So it would seem logical to assume drinking alcohol while in orbit could have an even more bizarre effect on the human body. Despite this, never actually having been tested or proven, astronauts are forbidden to drink while in orbit. Yeah. It is more likely due to the slower brain processing speeds that tend to accompany alcohol. Um, Astronauts have to be able to react to life-threatening situations quickly, and being buzzed on rum wouldn't help most people in those types of scenarios. Right. Right. (laughs) There is also a concern on how alcohol may affect the spacecraft system should it get loose. According to a BBC article, and yeah, I went way too far into this. No, I love this. Okay. According to a BBC article I found, for this reason, astronauts on the space station are not even provided with products that contain alcohol, like mouthwash, perfume, aftershave, or like hand sanitizer. Fascinating. Yeah. Spilling beer during some drunken orbital hijinks could also risk damaging equipment. That is fascinating. Yeah. Oh my God. Have you had a drink on a plane before? (laughs) Okay. Well, see, the reason I ask is because I haven't flown very much, as you know. Uh, 
from personal. Remember when I was like getting frequent flyer miles with yes. Southwest and I was getting like free drink coupons that I was handing out like f-ing lottery tickets to people? <laughs> now I do remember that. <laughs> yes. But I just say because I have not flown a whole lot. And so the few times I've flown were like red eyes that I was sleeping, on, trying to sleep on. Yeah. Or it was like an hour long flight to Southern California yeah. or something. So I'd never actually gotten a drink. Do you feel like it hits you quicker? Although I guess I also don't know how high the alcohol content is and the stuff that they serve. And I would imagine it's probably lower than right it is elsewhere right. um i don't remember because i've never i've never had more than just one mm-hmm. mostly because i didn't want to get like kicked off a flight for being yeah. too drunk or something yeah. but um i don't remember feeling mm. overly yeah i feel like you always feel a little lightheaded and funny right. on planes so right. maybe so you already feel a little buzzed yeah anyway. exactly yeah. <laughs> well that was fascinating thank you yeah what's your rating on it Ooh, um not my favorite but not horrible so yeah. six exactly my thoughts really yeah because like i would drink it again um but i don't love maybe it with a little less of the galliano maybe exactly i think everything else and the cream was the thing we were most worried about yeah I which the, that's fine the cream's nice mm-hmm. <laughs> okay so first things first conducting research for this episode meant sifting through a lot of very technical very scientific very mathematical terms so meaning you brought in alex the professional meaning this is very dumbed down okay yeah because <laughs> i'm gonna be really honest with you and really honest with our audience that a lot of this was way way over my head yeah i'm a history buff history is what i know history is what i love i like science <laughs> i mean I, I i believe in science i respect it i respect science mm-hmm. but i don't like get science (laughs) we leave that to the professionals yes the scientists that we respect and appreciate yes and it's a little hard for me to admit when i don't know something or i don't understand something because that's not who i am i like to know everything i know it's a surprise to hear that yeah no 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 no. yeah (laughs) but after reading and rereading certain terms and equations over and over again in an attempt to understand them I ended up giving up and deciding that this week's episode is going to be the watered-down layman's version of rocket science. I'm going to be honest. I think most people will appreciate that. Most okay. of our regular listeners. Okay. Yeah. That's good to hear. Because I was afraid that I would be like disappointing or letting some people down. I mean, most people are history nerds mm-hmm. who are listening to this. So they're not the science So they're nerds. not the science nerds. Okay. The that- only science nerds listening are our husbands. <laughs> yes, that's true. That's true. And actually, I mean, I, I like so respect scientists and mathematicians. I'm married to one. How did that happen? <laughs> uh, so I send my sincerest apologies to anyone listening to this week's episode that wishes I had done more in-depth coverage of the fine details of this incident in history. And for anyone that is right there with me and also does not totally understand charged particles, uh, Selena logical ins- inspections, Selena, Selena, and in canal materials. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Welcome to the club. Yeah. Welcome. Now that I've gotten that out of the way, I think we need to start with a little history about the Apollo missions or the Apollo space program. The Apollo program began in the early 1960s following the Mercury program. There are a couple of primary differences between the two programs, but to quickly and easily wrap it up, the Mercury missions were simply, and I use the word simply very loosely because obviously none of this is simple. (laughs) Not at all. (laughs) But they were to simply put Americans in outer space 
we were hardcore expediting the space race at this time, trying to keep keep up with Russia, which had put the first man in space months before we did. Mm-hmm. With the Mercury program, we weren't landing humans on anything. We were just getting them out into space. Additionally, the Mercury capsules could only hold one astronaut, a task that I would never in a million years sign up for being no. in space alone no no it, it space is very much like uh the ocean for me there's something about it it's the unknown yeah it's so big dark anything and everything could go wrong <sighs> yeah yeah it's scary yeah. uh so the mercury capsules they could only hold one astronaut whereas the apollo spacecrafts could hold three people yeah that uh, still don't sign me up but <laughs> still will not sign up but more likely yeah more likely yeah Which is still not a likelihood. (laughs) When the Apollo program was born, its primary objectives were, and I'm quoting this directly from NASA's website, uh, they were establishing the technology to meet other national interests in space, achieving preeminence in space for the United States, carrying out a program of scientific exploration of the moon, and developing human capability to work in the lunar environment. The motto of the Apollo missions was Ex Luna Scientia. Which, when translated to English from Latin, means from the moon, knowledge. The first Apollo mission, Apollo 1, ended in tragedy. On January 27, 1967, as the astronauts were conducting a pre-flight test approximately a month before the scheduled launch, a fire burst through the command module and took the lives of all three astronauts on board. Not a good start. (laughs) Not a great start. The numbering for the following missions gets a little confusing because they never actually named a spacecraft Apollo 2 or 3, and then the next few missions were unmanned. So we don't see another manned mission until 1968 with Apollo 8. Mm -hmm. And then Apollo 11 is, of course, the infamous flight that put the first man on the moon. And on that high, NASA just kept on keeping on. Mm -hmm. The specific mission of Apollo 13 was to land in the Fra Mauro area of the moon, which is a crater on the moon. NASA wanted to show off that they had achieved precision landing, and they also believed that the lunar samples in this particular area were different than those collected during the Apollo 11 and 12 missions. Hmm. Okay, so let's talk about the astronauts that would be on Apollo 13. Jim Lovell, who was 42 years old at the time of the mission and was played by the great Tom Hanks. Beloved. Beloved, treasured, idolized Tom Hanks. Yeah. Okay. He was the mission commander and he had a pretty impressive record. He was the first man to have flown to space four times, a record that has since been beat. And at the time of the Apollo 13 flight, he had already been involved with a number of space launches. He was a pilot on the Gemini 7 in 1965 and served as first command of Gemini 12 the following year. He was also on Apollo 8, which became the first crewed spacecraft to orbit around the moon on Christmas Day 1968. So he's a pretty accomplished guy, right? Yeah. Yeah. So if I'm going to go on a space mission, I think I'm going to trust this guy. I agree. I would go with Tom. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, Jim, whatever. I mean, mean, whatever. (laughs) The other two astronauts on this mission were 35-year-old Fred Hayes and 38-year-old Jack Swigert. What's amazing is that Swigert wasn't originally supposed to go on the Apollo 13 in a COVID-19 world in which we all are way too familiar with quarantining and potential exposures. This won't be too much of a culture shock for us. It was announced only two days before the launch that one of the backup astronauts that the crew had been hanging around had caught measles from his kid, Mm. meaning that the entire crew was exposed to it. 
this wasn't a concern for either Lovell nor Hayes because they had both had the measles infection as children. And measles is one of those illnesses where once you get it once, you build up the immunity and you'll never get it again. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately for Ken Mattingly, the third Apollo 13 crew member, he had never had the infection and therefore did not have immunity to it. Mm. Although he would never end up getting sick, they couldn't risk the idea of him exhibiting symptoms while in space. Yeah, that's scary. Right. So last minute, they had to swap him out with Swigert. Now, we have to talk about the actual diagram of Apollo 13, and we need to give our audience a really good visual idea of what this looked like, because this is going to provide the foundation for today's story. Okay, so there's a service module on the back, Mm -hmm. the back, Mm -hmm. the back, Mm -hmm. Um, which I'm assuming is where like the fuel is held and and all that stuff. Then there's the command module in the middle, and that's obviously where command is. So that's where the three astronauts are. Mm -hmm. And then on the end, the front of it Mm -hmm. um, is the lunar lander so I'm assuming that's where they get into to land on the moon beautiful exactly I'm a pro I'm a scientist she's a scientist she's been hustling (laughs) that's exactly it so the command module and the service module were essentially held together by somewhat of like an umbilical cord Mm -hmm. that allowed for the transfer of power between the two modules the command module which they would call odyssey is exactly what it sounds like. It's where the majority of the work is going on. That's where the crew of three were housed. It's where all the accommodations were, where the primary control panel was, and so on. The service module is where the fuel was stored. Oh, my God. I know. You actually are. You're an astronaut. I'm an astronaut. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) She lied. She was watching the Apollo 13 movie. (laughs) Um, So that's where the fuel was stored, and it also served as a place for, like, extra storage. This service module would be detached prior to reaching the Earth's atmosphere, you know, on the return home, Mm -hmm. and it would burn up. And then finally, we have the lunar module, which they would call Aquarius. It's also exactly what it sounds like. This is the lander craft that actually lands on the surface of the moon. This module could house two people. The other remaining crew member would stay inside the command module while the other two were in the lunar module on the moon. This vessel also gets detached prior to reaching Earth's atmosphere, and it burns up. That would be a bummer to be the guy that has to stay Stay behind. behind. I know. Lame. Lame. And just as a little spoiler alert here, it's the service module where all the shit is about to go down. It goes down. It does. Mm -hmm. On April 11th, 1970, Apollo 13 successfully launched. We actually have the original audio from the launch here for you. 10, 9, 8. Ignition sequence has started. 6. Five, four, three, one, zero. We have commit and we have liftoff at 2.13. The Saturn V building up to 7.6 million pounds of thrust and it has cleared the tower. But according to NASA's own website, just five and a half minutes after liftoff, the astronauts on board felt, and I quote, a little vibration. One of the engines in the second stage shut down prematurely, but within seconds, the ground control back in Houston was able to recalculate and figure it out. Beyond that, the liftoff was considered a success. 
One of the coolest things to come from this mission was three days into the trip, the crew did a live television broadcast in which they gave the American public a tour of the lunar module while they were in space. Yeah. So cool. And I would have totally nerded out about something like this. Mm -hmm. What's amazing, though, is that very, very few people actually watched the broadcast. Oh. Yeah. Not a singular major network picked up the broadcast. What the hell? Americans didn't want their evening TV shows interrupted by some astronauts in space. Okay. Well, I get that. Yeah. At this point, people were bored with the space program. America had already accomplished their goal of putting a man on the moon before the Soviets, so no one really cared anymore. That's a bummer. No, it makes me totally sad. Like, Lovell's wife had to go to NASA to watch the broadcast because she couldn't find it on television. Oh. I know. Only minutes after the broadcast, though, the crew started noticing problems within the ship. One of the pressure sensors looked as if it was malfunctioning. To correct this, the crew was instructed by ground control to turn on these fans that would circulate the air within the spacecraft so that a better read could be made of temperature pressure. Mm -hmm. And might I just add that this sounds incredibly familiar to the kind of jerry-rigging I used to do with my lemon of a first car because, like, you know, like, a light goes on and I turn on the air conditioning and I'd roll down a window and then the light would go off. That sounds, yeah. Yeah. It's familiar, right? Except um, when, I mean, I guess you could die in a car, but much less likely than dying in a spacecraft. Correct. Correct. Yeah. When a light goes on in a spacecraft, it's a little different than when the light goes on on my 2001 Honda Civic. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Not even two minutes after turning on the fans, the crew reported hearing a loud bang within the spacecraft. Uh Uh-oh. Now, remember, the spacecraft is essentially like a barrel. So this noise echoed. This occurred at exactly 10.08 p.m. Eastern Central Time on April 13th. And this is when the crew called into headquarters and said... Okay, Houston, we've had a problem here. This is Houston, say again, please. Uh, Houston, we've had a problem. We've had a main B, Houston, we have a problem. Well, you'll note that they say, Houston, we've had a problem. It was actually the 1995 Apollo 13 movie that took the creative liberty of changing that to the now infamous line, Houston, we have a problem. Which, I mean, it's the same thing. It's almost the same thing, except that when I was reading this really awesome article, it said, um, you know what? The, the guy that was writing the article said, if you Google Houston, we have a problem, the iconic, infamous line, mm-hmm. you'll get like 300,000 hits on Google, right, for yeah. that line. But if you type in Houston, we've had a problem, which is the actual original language, yeah. there's like 3,000 hits online. It's just interesting. Yeah. I mean, Hollywood, man. Hollywood. And that is what the director said, is that he felt that Houston, we have a problem versus Houston, we've had a problem is more engaging sure because (laughs) sure because what he said is like houston we have a problem it's like the problem is ongoing it's current it's happening right now as opposed to the original language was houston we've had a problem isn't as dynamic that's true dynamic that's the Mm. word i was looking for right there yeah the crew initially thought that perhaps they'd been hit by a meteoroid what they would soon learn, however, was that the number two oxygen tank had blown up, disabling the light, water, electricity, and obviously, oxygen to the crew. Oh. This particular oxygen tank had actually previously been in the service module of Apollo 10. Mm. They removed it to do some modifications to it, and guess what? They yeah. damaged yeah. it in the process. Mm. Yeah, they dropped it. They dropped it? They dropped That's it. That's like when someone like someone in the kitchen who's cooking drops like a piece of shrimp on the floor and, and then just picks it, it up and puts it back in the pan. Mm-hmm. Oh, I saw that on an episode of Kitchen Nightmares. It was a That's nightmare. That's a nightmare. That's a nightmare. It was. 
Supposedly, they fixed this oxygen tank, but even after retesting it at the NASA Kennedy Space Center the month before the Apollo 13 launch, the tank still wasn't performing correctly. Build a new one, guys. I know I, it's only it's only a million dollars <laughs> of the people's taxes. It's fine. But if it doesn't work, you could literally lose lives. Yeah. In a lot of technical scientific terms that I am willing to admit I simply do not understand... NASA personnel was eventually able to MacGyver the tank into performing the way they wanted it to, but in a lot of roundabout ways. This meant that when the oxygen tank was placed in the aircraft, there were actually wires exposed within it that sparked and set on fire. This oxygen tank has actually been referred to now as a bomb. It was literally a bomb just waiting to explode. In space. In space. Oh. In 2020 hindsight, we of course know that they should have never cut corners to make this oxygen tank work because this simple element, this right here, is what would begin the disaster that was almost Apollo 13. Shortly after this, the number one oxygen tank also failed. And then two of the ship's three fuel cells would fail. These fuel cells were directly responsible for providing the electricity that the astronauts needed for hydration and water in the command module. So they're out, n- no oxygen, they're going to run out of water. Like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's, it's truthfully a death sentence. Oh my gosh. It was only then, 13 minutes after the explosion, that Level looked out one of the side windows and noticed that the spacecraft was leaking gas out oh into space. Oh my god. <laughs> so now they can't get home. I know. So should I also add here that this is the moment when Apollo 13 was 200,000 miles away from the Earth. Only 200,000. Yeah, that's it. That's it. <sighs> and thus, the Apollo mission changed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> the mission was no longer to land on the moon. The mission was to return to Earth alive. I'm Ashley. And I'm Bianca. And, and we, we host Creep It Real, a podcast expertly crafted to expose the dark and mysterious corners of this and any other world. Whether it's a terrifying interdimensional entity or an even more terrifying corrupt human entity, we're giving you all the details. You can check out our website at creepitrealpod.com for access to our episodes and links to connect with us on social media. Come join us. We're your family now. Just over an hour after the explosion, the flight director in Houston reached out to the crew and said, hey, we're starting to think you all might want to make your way into the lunar module, to which Swigert replied like, yeah, dude, that's our plan. Okay, maybe I took some of my own creative liberties with that verbiage. Okay, Okay. Yeah, but Swigert did report back to Houston that he, Hayes, and Lovell had already begun preparing to shift completely to the lunar module. And... Okay, the Mm -hmm. lunar module is the one that's supposed to land. Correct. Yes, exactly. The lunar module became their lifeboat. The commander module had only 15 minutes of power left in it, so the crew had to work lightning quickly to transfer the power to the lunar module where they would reside for the remainder of the trip home. Oh my gosh, could you imagine? No, absolutely not. Absolutely not. Of the concerns associated with relocating to the lunar module, oxygen food weren't really one of them, so that's good. It's only a few days, right? Correct. Yeah. Uh, well, because the lunar module was now never going to actually land on the moon, it already contained plenty of consumables for the crew to return home. Okay. Same for the oxygen. What was, of course, concerning, though, was that, for one, the lunar module, remember, it was built to house two crew members. Oh, they had to- yes. With three men squeezing into this module quarters were tight oh my god 2020 hindsight and 2020 hindsight 20 not 2020 hindsight not but year 2020 hindsight no. oh wait yeah yes, yes. Year, year 2020 hindsight 
<laughs> it's like th- three three men in a small enclosed room. Ooh, oh, uncomfortable. Cringy. Cringy. Two, the lunar module was only built to survive for 45 hours, but it would need to survive another 90 hours to get the astronauts safely home. Mm-hmm. And finally, the entire team back in Houston now had to completely rewrite and test in the simulator how to get the ship back to Earth. This hadn't been the plan, obviously. The lunar was never meant to serve as a navigation device. They had to rework all of the math to determine how and when to burn the lunar module's descent engine to actually get them home. <sighs> And finally, the lunar module did not have a heat shield, so it physically could not survive returning to Earth. They had to discard it. I have to say, yeah, no, the movie didn't do anything for me, at least not visually this. seeing the movie, because uh, <laughs> this is all news to me. Yeah, you have to hear the the uh, nerves in their voice, Should right? Wa- to, I'm going to no, watch it. absolutely. Yeah. What that meant was that they would eventually have to return to the command module in order to penetrate the Earth's atmosphere. What they had to do was basically shut down the command module to conserve its energy so that it could be used once they neared home. I don't mean to make light of the situation at all. This is a literal life or death situation. But I think of it kind of like my phone battery when it's getting low and I'm doing all I can to preserve it. Girl. She knows. Girl. Yeah. This is essentially what the crew was doing here. They were able to use some of the power from the lunar module to charge the command module. And then they just had to wait until they got close to the Earth's surface again before they switched. Yeah. Think about the timing of all of this. If the astronauts had actually made it to the moon and had they actually used the lunar module the way it was intended to be used roaming the moon's surface, they would have used up all the power and food and water it had to offer and they would have died in space. Yeah, so it's good it happened when it happened. Exactly. The timing of this incident is impeccable. Mm -hmm. In addition to conserving power, the crew had to conserve other things too. In order to make sure that they had enough water for the return trip to Earth, they reduced their daily water intake to six ounces. Do you know how much six ounces is? That's, um... It's it's less than a cup. Yeah, that's actually about what we just drank yes or i just drank because you haven't finished (laughs) which she just polished off i still have a little ways to go in my cocktail yeah but yeah it's less than a cup in a day they also drastically reduce their food intake it's actually super typical for people to lose weight in space Mm -hmm. scientists haven't exactly figured out why that is it's something about fat not settling in the body the same way Uh, sign me on earth up i know (laughs) I know because there's actually a story. I, I apologize. I didn't put it in my notes. So I don't have her name here, but a female astronaut that in her first day in orbit, she lost six pounds that day. <laughs> I, know. I know. In addition to that, astronauts aren't great about actually eating in space. Oftentimes they have upset stomachs from like motion sickness yeah. or again, just the way food settles in the body in space is different than on well, Earth. Well, it doesn't settle. It's just like floating it's just, in Exactly. There. And so sometimes you feel full long before you actually are. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of reasons behind like losing weight in space, and it's very typical to lose weight in space. Yeah. Having said all of that, though, the amount of weight the Apollo 13 crew lost was, no pun intended, astronomical. And how long were they in space total? Six days. So six days. In total, the crew of three would lose 31.5 pounds, which is nearly 50% more than any other crew. Well, I mean, they were conserving. It, no, exactly. They were conserving their water and their food. My gosh. Something else to consider is the temperature. The temperature control for the lunar module that could keep the module at a nice temperature was only sustainable for 83 hours. Oh, I didn't think about that. Yes. Oh, it's like the Martian. Yes, 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 yes. My family, every time I go to my parents' house, the Martian is on TV every time I, without I'm, I, I've seen the movie. I've seen parts of the movie 
185 times. Yeah, no, I would um, love to do to that. Sounds great to me. I love the Martian. So does my family. (laughs) (laughs) It's the Martian. And what did you say your mom watches every morning? Um, uh, Bonanza. Oh, my God. Bonanza. Yes. Bonanza and the Martian. And you've been to my parents' house. I might as well. Yeah. Might as well move in. Yeah. With the return home trip taking an anticipated four days, the crew had to conserve energy and suffered through temperatures as low as 49 degrees Fahrenheit in the lunar module, which, as a reminder, freezing temperature is 32 degrees Fahrenheit. So they were just a little chilly. They were freezing. They were starved. They were dehydrated. In addition to all of this... Hayes ended up developing the flu or a kidney urinary tract infection, depends on which source you read, while in flight. The logistics of getting these men home is way, way above and beyond my understanding. Like I said earlier, the lunar module was obviously never intended to be the module navigating the astronauts home. And also, obviously, this whole spacecraft was on a course that was set to place them on a very specific location on the moon. Mm -hmm. The ground crew back at Houston had to crunch numbers and recalculate getting the spacecraft on a return home route that would take them past the moon rather than landing on the moon. Now, although the lunar module was carrying enough oxygen, it wasn't exactly equipped to remove high levels of carbon dioxide. This module was only supposed to be carrying two people and for a limited amount of time. The carbon dioxide scrubbers, they're like these uh, containers Mm -hmm. used to absorb carbon dioxide in the lunar module. The ends of them were circular. Okay. The scrubbers in the command module, the ends of them were square. Okay. Gives a new meaning to fitting a square pig in a round hole, right? Mm. Yeah. Mm. Between the astronauts and the ground crew in Houston, they were able to determine a way to transfer the carbon dioxide between these square and circular units by taking a plastic bag and putting the cylindrical unit inside the bag and taping the opening of the bag around the cubic opening. Okay. What's even more amazing about all of this is it's not like the crew in Houston could send pictures to the Apollo 13 yeah, astronauts. No, no yeah. smartphones. No. There were no smartphones. Phone, so they had to describe it in the most minute of details verbally how to do this. Wow. As the crew neared the Earth's atmosphere, they returned to the Odyssey or the command module and powered her up. At this point, the command module was soaked in water. It was all the condensation because oh. it was so cold in there and the power wasn't being used. So there was like water all over the windows and the control panels. But fortunately, none of the mechanics had short-circuited an issue both the spacecraft crew and the crew back in Houston feared. Mm -hmm. Just four hours before they reached the Earth's atmosphere, they discarded the service module, the location where the explosions had occurred. And the fuel, right? Yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. When they discarded the service module, this was the crew's first chance to actually see what damage had been done. And I have a picture here for you to check out. Ooh, yeah, that's a big, uh, big hole. Exactly. In the side of it. Mm-hmm. It's a big hole. <laughs> it's a big hole. Uh, an entire panel. Yeah. Of the thing is. I mean, it looks like multiple panels. Yeah, you're right. You're right. You're right. An entire side yeah. of this module is blasted open. Yeah. Shortly thereafter, they discarded the lunar module, the vessel that had kept them all alive for the past four days. Elon Musk would be screaming. <laughs> screaming. Like, Why are you discarding this? <laughs> I love it. I want to reuse this. <laughs> As the command module entered the Earth's atmosphere, Houston began to freak out because radio connection was lost for some four minutes. But all of a sudden, they spotted the Apollo 13 astronauts hooked up to their parachutes as they splashed down into the South Pacific Ocean. (laughs) 
Just shy of six days after the Apollo 13 spacecraft had launched, the crew was finally home safe. President Richard Nixon awarded... <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, gag reflex. Yeah. <laughs> Awarded all three men the Presidential Medal of Freedom and also personally telephoned each one of their families. Great. <laughs> wow. <laughs> the almost tragedy of Apollo 13 reinvigorated the public's interest in the space mission. So fickle. It's so fickle. We're so fickle. We are, aren't we? Yeah. Tragedy interests us. Yeah. Remember how I mentioned earlier, like you just implied that no one was interested in even watching the televised broadcast of the men while in space yeah well, not anymore yeah everyone was interested now well, of course yeah naturally in fact on april 17th when the spacecraft was set to return to earth many employers across the country at the request of the united states senate actually shut down their businesses so that employees and patrons could pray for the safety of the crew it was a national holiday uh holiday prayer session yes national prayer meeting (laughs) yeah a thorough investigation was conducted following this incident in which they determined exactly what i shared earlier that there had been an oxygen tank that was damaged in the process of modifying it and they still put it on the spacecraft even though it wasn't performing properly come on as a result of apollo 13 spacecrafts thereafter all carried extra batteries extra oxygen tanks in separate locations not all in the service module and additional water storage Mm. none of the astronauts aboard apollo 13 would ever fly to space again i feel like that would kind of turn me off i'd kind of that'd be be it no thanks that one's gonna be it yeah that was enough i'm gonna keep my feet on the literal ground yeah Thank you all for listening to this episode of Hashtag History. As always, we will share the pictures that we discussed on this episode to our Instagram, and all sources used to put together this episode can be found on our website at hashtaghistory-pod.com. Subscribe to us on whatever podcast platform you use, share about us with your friends, and then if you would very kindly give us a rate and review. Yeah, we'd appreciate it. We love seeing Apple Podcast reviews. They make us happy. They really do. They do. Even the not-so-nice ones. It means you're listening. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Haters gonna hate. (laughs) Speaking of Instagram, be sure to check us out on there at hashtag history underscore podcast. Thank you. Thanks. Bye. Bye. (laughs) (laughs) Strike a pose. Record every time. <laughs> every time. It'll, and whenever I go back in and edit, you always hear. <laughs> 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 how do I? How did I even do that? I don't know. I'm nowhere close. <laughs> <laughs> this I don't know that I've ever seen. Is this the right one? Yeah, not the first. Oh, sorry. Oh, it's okay. <laughs> you know me. Zoom, zoom, zoom. <laughs> okay. I don't know what I'm looking at. This is the dawning of the age of Aquarius. Age of Aquarius. I don't think. I thought you were a Broadway nerd. What was that one? Hair. I want to know. Ugh. I don't think I know anything from hair. I. That's the only thing I know from it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, Where were we? Sorry. I don't know. No. You were saying something. Aquarius. <laughs> I was yeah. Saying Aquarius. Uh, so the other remaining crew member, huh? It just sounded like there was a bug. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs>
It's fine. I might be feeling the drink. A little bit. You feel your hearing buzzing going on. <laughs> Meteoroid? I don't know why that sounded weird. Asteroid. Meteorite? Me- I think you I think you combined Did I come up with the word? Meteorite and asteroid. Had been hit by maybe I'm wrong. I'm not a scientist. You just said I'm an astronaut. That's right. <laughs> no, meteor meteoroid is a word. Okay. We should dig into, maybe not now, mm. where the term MacGyver comes from. Do you know? Isn't it from the show? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> you were fine. When you said 2020, I was like, no, it's 2021, but you're talking about 2020. Actual like, 2020 hindsight. 2020, like, like 2020 vision. vision. <laughs> I know. We will never get over the year 2020. It's never going to be the same. We No. Nothing will ever be the same. <laughs> should we make Nico and Richard rewatch it? with us they would enjoy it too much okay if anything we should yeah no they'd probably start a scientific conversation on the side and then we'd miss it (laughs) we'd miss it again (laughs) so no they're not invited (laughs) they can watch titanic while we watch apollo 13 (laughs) oh my god (laughs) 